If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everybody, it's Ed Neal, your favorite hitchhiker. <laughs> you like head cheese? We got plenty of head cheese hanging out here. Whew, I'm a little bush today. We, we've been up in Stinnett, Texas, up in the Panhandle. We've been shooting a little uh, short film out there called uh, Ladybugs. I uh, play a crazy guy up in a tree. I know you're shocked, but uh, I said, uh, are you crazy? I said, yeah, I am. He said, would you get up in a tree? And I said, well, well, heck yeah. <laughs> uh, boy, I sure hope you're having a fine uh, December here. And I hope you have a great big Christmas. And uh, we'd, uh, we'd just like to say something to you. Don't go out there. Bye. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin. And they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all the support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about our podcast is on our website. Brian's done a great job with it. It looks amazing. We have all of our episodes and interviews from our very first episode all the way to our weekly releases. Check out our website. We've done some incredible interviews in the past. Check out our interviews tab. It's a lot easier to find all of these uh, ep- these interviews we've done with these horror legends on our website compared to like Apple Podcasts or Spotify where we have 300-something episodes probably. Uh, we have our store, new T-shirts, new merch, new apparel. Check that out. Uh, we would love to see your pictures, you know, repping your favorite podcast. Uh, we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. Uh, those are selling like crazy for her. And we also have all of our social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. Uh, tonight's episode is a perfect example of social media. We got a ton of questions and comments on there. Uh, so <laughs> I probably should hurry up then so, so we can get to them. Uh, but we love meeting new fans. We love connecting with new people. Check us out on social media. And the last thing we shout out on our website is Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You know, you're a big fan of our show and you want to help us out. Uh, we have that available. None of that money goes in our pockets, just back into the podcast. We truly appreciate your support. Or if you're a big fan of a movie and you want us to review it, we have one-time donations available as well. 
Uh, tonight we're kicking off December with my theme month. It's, I chose something called Overdue Month. We're all picking a movie we kind of feel like, damn, we're on a this far into this show and we haven't done this movie yet. And tonight is actually a really big episode. It's our 250th episode. And Brother Brian got to choose tonight's uh, pick and he picked a good one. Uh, you want to announce it, Brother? Yeah, I picked uh, 1974's The Original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and I picked it because, frankly, you know, we're this far into it and said, damn, we should have been doing that by now. But, <laughs> but uh, no, it's definitely overdue. I'm glad it's our 250th episode, but it's kind of a crime that we've done 249 before this one, to be honest with you. Now, with that said, and this is going to make some people mad, which, you know, will happen a lot this month with me, I believe. But uh, I personally don't like this movie at all. Like, I 100% acknowledge that this is one of the probably top three most influential horror movies of all time. It's legendary, you know, hence why it's a shame we've gone 249 episodes before this one. But personally, I'm sorry. I don't think this one holds up. I know, I know. I can hear the boos and hisses from over here. But way back on episode six, I made my first ever selection on this show, and it was 2003's Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake with Jessica Biel. And, you know, I'm not going to go into that like we did, but to me, everything this does well that one does 10 times better to me. And, you know, I realize we don't have one without the other, but, you know, now we have both and now we have a choice. And that's why I blasphemously, is that a word? I blasphemously put this movie so far down on my chainsaw rankings during our 31 episode a few years back. But um, because I don't think it holds up, like I said, I think the, the acting is so over the top. It's not enjoyable for me. And while I agree, the movie itself was, was fantastic for the time. And I have personally started kind of thinking that that excuse doesn't really work for me because, I mean, we have we've made, you know, we have Halloween made in what is a 70 Halloween 78. We have Psycho. We have so much more movies that were made back then and hold up so much better than this one. I think I just you know, I just I don't care if I ever watch it again. I have a chainsaw timeline that's made for me and that's what I'll stick with. I think 2003 is superior in every way, in my opinion. And we all have those kind of movies like, you know, Dustin and Jaws. And I think. Mike with Exorcist. And I may be wrong on that one, but Nico and whatever made him post on Twitter one time. I hate that, Exorcist. <laughs> <clears throat> whatever, whatever made Nico post on Twitter one time that just because a movie's old doesn't mean it's good. Quote, end quote, air quotes. He but hated the like, birds. Psycho. He hated Psycho and the birds, which <laughs> the birds is the classic. I don't know what we're doing. So here. anyway, that's, this, one's, this one's that for me. I'm just curious before you go, Mike, I'm just curious. When you say it doesn't hold up well, are you going to get into that? Like, what doesn't hold up well? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's the acting. It's the mm. – I, I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah, I will get into everything that I don't I like. Say that, seen by the acting but to me, it just fair. Some of the other stuff I love, but I think the at least the acting is probably fair. I think it's super boring to begin with. Mm. Okay. Go I'll, I'll go next real quick. Uh I couldn't disagree with you more, Brian. <laughs> I think this movie holds up very well. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> uh, there are some things I don't like. You know, I'll touch on that at the end, you know, but it's more of the over-the-topness of some of the things that I just just kind of annoys me, honestly. But I'm not going to say anything new, and I kind of wrote this down in my rating at the end, but just this movie feels ex- very real, very scary to me. Uh, you can feel the hot, the the heat, the sweatiness the grossness, you can just, the grittiness. I bought this movie on uh, Steelback DVD 
10 years Woo. ago, maybe. Can't hide and that money. I, mean, I, got, I, well. got from F, I got it from FYE for like six ninety nine. So yeah, mm-hmm. big steal back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big big dubs over here. <laughs> What's an FYE? Oh. <laughs> but I watched it. I watched you know our rewatch this week on that just so I can get that real authentic feel. No no HD or anything like that over here. But uh, I think Gunnar Hansen is great as Leatherface. I will agree that none of the acting or characters are too memorable, honestly. But man, this movie just. I don't know. It makes me feel some type of way every time I watch it. Uh, it's got some truly iconic scenes. And, you know, I tweeted the other day that little, I don't know the exact amount of time it is because I was just kind of winging it. But that time span where Pam and Kurt go into the house and are both killed, that is elite horror movie quality, like the content. That is elite. Uh, I think it's great. And uh, I'll let Mike go next. Uh, I don't give this movie a 10, but it's a pretty high rating for me. Yeah, I think some of the stuff you mentioned is why I think the movie holds up enough. Um, I think Brian actually has some valid criticisms just as far as taking the movie on its face value. I think there are times where it gets a little boring, um, but Nico said it best, man. There's just some visceral stuff here that gives me the heebie-jeebies. I'm uncomfortable watching it. I'm hot while I watch it because I can – now, I will say this is a movie best watched when you immerse yourself into the film. You cannot casually watch this movie because I do think, like Brian said, it becomes boring and monotonous. If you immerse yourself, you put away your phone, you watch the way it was intended to be, which is kind of grainy, kind of footed, you know, make it look like it's from 1974 instead of an HD cut, which I have a Blu-ray, but (laughs) no, I do think this movie is best watched non-HD, which is very rare. But, okay, the acting is over the top. There's some of the stuff I don't like about that. But I, I love Gunnar Hansen's performance as Leatherface. Now, I don't know if either one of you have said that yet. He may not be the best Leatherface because, like, like Brian, my favorite is 03. Like, I think that – I love that movie a ton. But we don't have that movie without this movie. And there's just some really good iconic shots, some great work from Toby Hooper. You feel – everything in this movie, but you have to immerse yourself. It's a classic. It gets a little bit of a pass for me on some of the stuff that I don't care for because of it being a classic that I can just kind of take in. And it's a movie of its time. That being said, this movie is layered as shit. Um, th- now look, if you really want to hear about like the, all the stuff behind this movie and how the, all the meanings and the, and the symbolism and the, what it stands for, I don't know if we're going to get into a ton of that on this show, but it is there. There's a lot of subtext and a lot of context about the meat industry, capitalism, Vietnam, um, feminism. It's just all kinds of stuff in this film. It's so layered and so nuanced. It's a part of academia. I mean, this movie is studied in film classes. So there's so much meat on the bone, pun pun fully intended, that I think it's worth a deep dive. I'm glad we're finally reviewing it. It's not a movie I'm going to turn on for shits and giggles, though. Like, like I'm not popping this movie in just to watch casually. I got to really be in the mood. I got to really get into it. And I think that still makes it worth watching, makes it hold up. So I'm very excited to finally talk about it. Well, it's all shits and giggles until someone giggles and shits. But this movie, I like this movie a lot. Um, 
I said it when we did the 31 on 31 when we ranked this franchise, but that was that last year or the year before? I have no concept of time before, right now. I think. I think it was year 2021s. Yeah. 2021s. Okay. So it was last year then. Because yeah. this year. Okay. So anyway, uh, I said it when we did that episode that I had watched this movie for the first time like a month before that and loved it. Like, it's very easy to see that Rob Zombie draws inspiration from this film and, mm-hmm. and his directorial style. And I am a huge Rob Zombie fan, obviously. So I like that. But then just beyond that, I think I think it does hold up well. Now, the acting is bad. I'm not going to give a pass on the acting, but we've seen bad acting in movies that come out in 2022. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I challenge you to go watch that movie that I texted you guys about that I made it about 10 minutes into and turned it off. I don't even remember the name of it, but God, that was oh, off. Bl- dash cam or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dash cam. Blumhouse movie. Man, as Fuck much that. as they hit, as much as they hit, they've had a few strikeouts recently. Just throwing that yeah. out there. But, um, but yeah, this movie, I think, it, I think it holds up well as far as the the way it makes you feel. Like, it feels so realistic and real and plausible that it's like it's just and then the score is absolutely perfect like there's hardly any actual music it's just creepy sounds that like apparently came from sounds that an animal would hear in a slaughterhouse and uh it makes it even more creepy and uh i i just i i think everything about it looks great um even down to the the makeup that we see in the old at the end i mean that guy the guy that played grandpa was young as shit and he looked like uh the crypt keeper so I, I I just think that's a really good movie. I'm glad you picked it. I'm glad that uh, we're getting to it because it's overdue. I agree with you, Nico. It's not a 10, um, but it's, it's, it's a high mark for sure. Well, and I think you guys hit on it whenever you all three said the way that it makes you feel and gritty and gross. And that's exactly how I described it feeling whenever I watched 2003 and whenever I still watch 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I get that. I completely get that. I get that feeling when I watch that, but I don't get that when I watch this. So like I said, it's just the way I guess that it makes you feel personally too. Can I ask you a question, Brian? And I know you probably answered this before (laughs) because we reviewed the film. Which one did you see first? Uh, I saw, I mean, I saw the originals, the, this one and, and all the back, back when I was younger okay. in middle school, going through like all the horror movies at TNN video, not gotcha. TNN video, Mike, not TNN. Hey, I was going to say, but, I've been there, buddy. But, uh, and, and I didn't like the franchise at all. And so it actually took me a long time to give Oh three, uh, a chance. And so when I did, and it really actually made me feel some type of way, I was like, damn, I actually, you know, I really like this. So, you know, it, it, I don't know, different times in my life. Yeah, sure. But it's still kind of, to me, I, I will get into it. Peek behind the curtain, Brian. I know you hate my ne- my uh, pick next week, but the actual pick was almost Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. But because you picked this movie, I changed my oh. mind. So, oh, thank God. Thank God. I'd rather watch <laughs> a possession movie than that movie. But, um, well, yeah. back- <laughs> wow, spoiler. <laughs> oh, yeah, so- Sorry. But yeah, uh, to what you said about how it makes you feel, I also I get what you're saying. Like O three does make you feel uneasy and uncomfortable as well. But I also, when I watched this one, I just thought about the time. Like think about what was going on in the world. Like this is a post Charlie Manson world that we're I mean, living that, in. Yeah, that's that's very true. Post peaceful, 
post peace and love sixties. Like, like yeah. right post, after that. Yeah. Post Ed Gein. Like this is, yeah. you know, the stuff that was really going on in the world and movies weren't really being made like this back then. Mm-hmm. And so that, that goes, that plays a huge part into it is me just thinking like, damn, what if I was 18 years old, in 1974, uh, watch it, which I was close, but, uh, you know, watching this movie in, in a drive-in theater Shit. or something, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's just, that, that plays a lot into it as well is thinking of how impactful this had to have been in its era. Absolutely. And, and see, yeah, I completely get that. I just don't put myself in that position and like like with 78 halloween i don't have to put myself in that position that's fair and like and like with psycho i don't have to put myself in that position so those are movies to me that make me feel some type of way when i watch them but doesn't take any extra from me i guess like i said it's just personal preference you don't have to immerse yourself in it that makes sense to me i'll just say one more thing for a jumping scene by scene 74 i feel like could be like a like like a smut film or something like that. Like it feels re- more real to me than like like O three. Don't get me wrong. It feels like it feels you know hot, sweaty. But to me, it feels like it feels like a movie. You know, it feels like you know he's Michael Bay, so obviously. Yeah. But seventy four <laughs> just feels like like something you could hear like in a true crime case. Like it just yeah. feels more. Yeah. It feels more. You know, yeah. I get gritty. You know, I'm using the same words over and over, but I don't know. It just feels more like. Look, it happened right. down the road. Authentic, right, sure. But but I do like 2003 better as a movie, honestly. I mean, I put it number one in our 31 ranking that year we did it. So. If it weren't for Scream, I would have. So yeah. Same, same. I had Scream <laughs> 1 and this 2. And I had Scream 4, 2, and this 3, or excuse me, 03 at 3, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, any more opening thoughts for you, gentlemen, the scene by scene? This isn't a long movie, so this won't be that long of a review, I don't think. Uh, all right, let's jump into it, guys. The film starts with a voiceover by the legend John Larroquette speaking on the events of Sally Hardesty and her brother Franklin. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, August 18, 1973. We hear the famous photo flash noise as we see human body parts. We now see another set of corpses baking in the sun as the radio speaks on grave robbers. The robberies have happened over a period of time. Title card and opening credits roll. We see a dead armadillo in the road as a van comes to a stop. Franklin is wheeled out to pee and a semi passes by, throwing dirt all over them, and Franklin's wheelchair rolls down a hill. They chase after him and get him back in the van. They drive again as Pam speaks on astrology. The van stops again and Sally asks a farmer if they have any info on her granddaddy's burial ground. A drunk lies on the ground blabbering about seeing things. Sally tells Franklin she saw the grave herself and didn't look dug up. They pass the slaughterhouse and complain of the stench. Franklin says they kill the cows with two bashes to the head with a sledgehammer. Pam says they shouldn't kill animals for food, and Franklin tells him of using a bolt gun now. He complains of how hot it is, and they pick up a hitchhiker. Pam says not to. He's weird looking. They stop, and he jumps in the van. Franklin says he looks like Dracula, and they ask where he's heading. Hitchhiker says the sledgehammer was better. People are put out of jobs. He, He now shows Franklin pictures of animals he killed. He says they use all the pieces of flesh. Pam asks to change the subject. Hitchhiker snatches Franklin's pocket knife from him and now cuts his own hand. The teens are in shock as he laughs. Hitchhiker now grabs his own knife from his shoe and shows it off. He takes a picture of Franklin and asks if they could take him to his house and he offers them dinner. They tell him no and to walk since it's so close. He tries to sell the picture to Franklin now. Two dollars. It's a good picture. He now lights the picture on fire with gunpowder. 
They tell Jerry to pull over, and he grabs his knife again and cuts Franklin's arm. They stop, and they throw him out as he rubs blood on the side of the van. They drive away, and Pam tells Franklin's horoscope. Sally cleans his wound, and they stop at a gas station slash barbecue joint. The gas station attendee tells him they're out of gas. They ask where the old Franklin place is. He says not to go mess around no old houses. They're dangerous. He says he has some good barbecue. Just wait here. Jerry gets out to go ask about another gas station. Franklin finds some of the hitchhiker's blood on his knife, and he asks Kirk if he could do that to himself. Jerry and the ladies get back in the van with barbecue and leave to head to Grandpa's place. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes I got. What do you think? So usually with movies, I don't really care for, you know, I try to come at them from, you know, a technical aspect. Uh, The good thing about this is that it's so damn groundbreaking, especially from the cinematic point of view. There's a lot of really good stuff to talk about throughout. I mean, and first off, John Larroquette doing the narrating. It's just that's that's become so iconic. I mean, they they brought him back. I know for 03 and 06, but. You know, according to Larroquette, his payment for doing this was a marijuana joint, which is hilarious. The, the old, the marijuanas. But uh, it's just, it's so good, so creepy, you know, the, coupled with that uh, camera sound effect that's become so iconic and synonymous with this franchise, too. And, you know, look, I'll say it here, we didn't mention it in the opening, but the legendary Daniel Pearl and Toby Hooper, I mean, they have so many beautiful shots in this movie. I think it's just groundbreaking shots, you know, that... That opening with the flashes from the camera, the corpse in that cemetery, I think it's just beautiful. You know, I understand listening to the newscast, but I do kind of feel like it lingered on a little too long on that corpse shot. Um, not to mention <clears throat> the angles of almost every shot, even little stuff like, you know, getting out of the van. It's never just straight on. It's it's always to the side, uh, underneath them, different points of view, and very well done. You know, and, and atmosphere, the atmosphere is definitely spot on. I mean, that, that fucking van... Everything, everything, like you said, it looks hot as fuck. And I know that it was for the cast and the crew, but it did like it definitely comes across on the film. And and uh, so this is where I'm going to make people mad. And, and hey, it's just my opinion. So it is what it is. Uh, but, you know, I can't let the acting go with this crew of 30 year old kids, which I'm not complaining about. I mean, that's a trope. I just didn't know what to call them. But um, I think they're all extremely over the top acting, non-realistic. And for me, not likable at all. I mean, especially Franklin, Franklin, which. You know, apparently even the cast couldn't stand because, you know, the late uh, Paul Partain, you know, went method with it and annoyed everybody on the set, too. Um, William Vale as Kirk was tolerable to me. Uh, personally, they were so unlikable. It, it it made this first part just drag on so much to me. You know, and, and this is look, this is a super short movie to me. I think the the best acting comes from the Sawyer family and. You know, speaking of, shout out to friend of the show, the hitchhiker, Edwin Neal, for doing our show intro. He does a good job with what he's trying to portray. It just didn't hit to me like the girl they pick up in the 03 remake does. It's not disturbing to me as all. It just comes kind of comes across as cheesy. I mean, even their reactions to him cutting his hand, you know, Franklin's reaction to, to being cut is is cheesy to me. I don't know. Sorry, sorry. I know. Um, insert all the boos and hisses here. Not those kind of boos, though, Dustin. Relax. Is it booze? <clears throat> <laughs> but the uh, best actor in this entire thing to me is Jim Sido. I mean, I think he gives a very good performance and the best one in the entire movie, in my opinion. And the last thing I'll say is, is Marilyn Burns, rest in peace, walking around with no bra and, and a see-through shirt to me is, is funny. I mean, that's only because like there's hardly any gore or straight up nudity because Hooper intended this movie to be a PG flick, but kept getting back like X and R ratings from the NBA. So 
I guess it's just kind of ironic that, it, you know, if you're going to go for a PG rating off the bat, like why that choice? I don't know. Just curious to me is all I thought I'd bring it up. So all in all, pretty boring group of scenes for me. I don't disagree with that, Brian. Um, but I think boring, you know, this movie's one of those for me where I, again, I said it at my open where I need to immerse myself. So if I just throw this on and I'm on my phone and I'm doing something at the same time, yeah, like, you know, let's get to the good stuff. But if I sit down and kind of put everything away and just watch, I can just be in the van with this group of people. So I think that's where you have to go. You got to get to that place. So I understand while, you know, hey, that, that, that may not work for you. I'll say this. I love this intro. This iconic voiceover is great. Uh, the you know the the subtitles on the screen. I love it all. Like it, it, it just it's one of those intros. While look, Halloween seven eight is my favorite movie, but it is one of those intros that just rivals that that John Carpenter score with the you know the orange credits of of Halloween. It, it, it rivals that in my mind. Like oh my, all right, we're in for a treat here. We get to watch one of the OG big time horror movies. And I think this open, this opening kind of puts me in that place. I mentioned Daniel Pearl also just really cool that they have him again in 2003. Like that's probably really cool for him to be able to say, like I worked on this one. Now I'm working on this one, a completely different movie in the sense of like the style and the setting, but uh, he does a great job in both. I, I think he's great as a cinematographer and I like Toby Hooper Unlike everyone else on this show, I like the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. So, like, I really do like Toby Hooper as a filmmaker. Um, you know, you go right into everything that happens in this van, and it is a little slow, but it's just kind of like casual conversation for a little bit there. Some annoying, <laughs> some annoying horoscope thing, which I, I think I've said on the show. I hate horoscope stuff. Like, it, I, I don't do astrology like i think it's rather annoying when people excuse their behavior because they're a, a tortoise or a taurus or whatever the hell that means um <laughs> i found that very annoying but <laughs> whatever i'm sure i'll get some uh some uh some lashes for that but um yeah look i love however i love edwin neal's who who our intro i love his performance in this van like i think him and his his acting, his facial expressions, uh, the scene where he cuts his hand, at, I I think it's great. And at the time, we only know him as this hitchhiker. So it's just like this like really out of left field scene. Like, why is this hitchhiker here? What's his purpose? We don't know that the first time you ever see the film. And so it just looks like a crazy out of place thing. And for what it is, I think it works. Um, as far as the rest of this cast, man, they're just not very memorable. Like, I really wish Marilyn Burns had had the chance to reprise her role in this most recent Texas Chainsaw because I think it would have been super meta and super funny. Obviously, didn't get the chance uh, to to be Sally again, but like that would have at least added something a little fun. But it, her role, like her performance in this movie, is just not very memorable until the last like fifteen minutes, where all she does is scream. So in this set of scenes, none of the characters are super memorable to me. Franklin. Very annoying, but again, this feels to me, like Nico said in his open, a real group of friends. Like it feels like every every group of friends has that annoying person. Sometimes I'm that annoying person. Like, like every group of friends has that guy. 
And so I kind of feel like this is very realistic to me, except for, you know, a crazy ass hitchhiker. I am not picking up no hitchhiker. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So um, I'm with you on it being a boring set of scenes in the sense that not a lot happens. But I do think it sets a good tone. It, it gives me the, you know, I'm, 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 I'm unsettled. Like I don't look like I, I have an uneasy feeling when I watch this opening set of scenes because I know what's to come and, but the, the people in the movie don't know what's coming. So Mike, I, I think you- it's okay. But by the way, beautiful shots. Like this movie has really good shots. I love the setting. It looks hot. It feels hot. It looks very Texas, nineteen seventy four, and, and I like that about that. Mike, oh, did you say temperature that you... hot. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, however, you know, Mike, saying. did you say that you didn't like Marilyn Burns at the end because all she does is scream, or you did? No, 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 no. I said when she does that, I like it. But okay. everything else before that, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> but her, her in the last twenty minutes, I think does a good job i really do yeah yeah so uh you can immediately see where rob zombie draws his inspiration from um you, you know from john larroquette and the narration to the scrolling text on the screen uh the score the immediate gore the title card i mean that has rob zombie all over it and so when i watched this first time for the first time i was like oh hell yeah i'm in don't care what happens the rest of the way i'm in but um also john larroquette shout out to him Grew up on John Larroquette, man. I used to watch Night Court, Night Court with my dad, like, all the time. And then, Same. of course, with, uh, you know, him being in Richie Rich. Big part of my childhood. But, um, so, when he's trying to take a leak off the side of the road, what exactly happened to cause him to get thrown down the hill and out of his chair? Like a car speeding by and he got startled and fell? Like, I didn't see anything. Like, what the fuck was that? That was weird to me. But, uh, okay, that's fine. And then, holy nipples, Batman. Sally rocking the no bra look, and then things were pointing in the right direction. That was certainly a choice for someone trying to get a PG rating. But Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then we got Franklin talking about the gun used to slaughter the cattle. Uh, every time I watch this movie, it immediately makes me think of No Country for Old Men. Great movie. Cannot wait to cover that one. Um, but just, you know, go to it every time. It goes, what a brutal weapon that would be. But uh, and then yeah, I just I would not have picked this guy up. Like I said, we're in a post Manson world, and he looks like he looks. Fuck that, bro. And then he starts cutting into his own own hand, like when he grabs the knife and cuts into his own hand. Hey man, stop! This guy's got to go. Like I'm kicking him out the van right then. There's no chance for him to do anything else. Um, and honestly, the part in the van with the hitchhiker it just lasts way too long to me. Like it really served no purpose. I get we had to be introduced to the character somehow because spoiler, we're gonna see him again later. Um, but it could have been in passing. Like he could have been at the barbecue spot. It, it it just it was pointless to me. Um, other than to show us that he's crazy and po- plant this seed of paranoia in Franklin's uh character for the rest of the movie. It just I don't know. I, wasn't really a fan of that, but um, and then when he sliced into Franklin's arm, what the hell kind of crying was that? To quote my favorite TikTok account, "Be a man." What the fuck, dude? You're crying like a toddler. Oh my! Show this man move on. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh he man. Song, pal. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> to defeat the Huns, but um. 
Well, Donnie Osmond for that ass. Let's go. <laughs> Franklin's just annoying as hell, though, as a character. Like, after that guy gets out, he just sitting in his chair and he stabs the side of the van for no fucking reason. And then he's looking at the blood like, hey, do you think, or looking at the knife, hey, do you think that's blood? Is that his blood maybe? No shit. Like, he, he cut himself with that knife, and I didn't see you wipe it off. Yeah, it's probably his blood. So I like this open because the feel, like the, the Rob Zombie feel to it. But honestly, the rest of the movie is where it gets better because this open isn't great to me. All it does is establishes who our characters of interest are, and... I don't really necessarily care about them yet at this point. Um, and I really hate the hitchhiker and I hate Franklin. But that being said, it's still a pretty solid open, though, just because of the feel. And I was drawn to it because of the Rob Zombie comparisons. Uh, really, really, you know, it's funny in your rundown that you sent, Nico, the like the number of sets of scenes that we're reading off, like you were being generous to that last set. Like you probably, you really probably could have had three sets of scenes if you wanted to, because there's just a whole lot in this like first little bit that were not a lot happened. But what I did want to ask is, and I I think I know Brian's answer, but does the story in this movie really matter to you guys? Like, I mean, is it important in the fact of, of what the movie actually does for, for, for movie for cinema, for the horror genre in general, I don't think the story is that big of a deal because I agree with Brian. The O3 story is better. It, it, it improves upon this as far as the story goes, but I think there's so much more enjoyable things about the movie because Dustin's right. Who gives a shit about everybody in this van? Just being honest. Well, and plus, not only that, like the, you're talking about story, the story is they're going to see this house. Well, where all the tragedies take place is not even that fucking house. It's the right. neighbor's house. Right. So the story doesn't matter in this. It's more about the build to get where we're going. Right. I'm going to touch on one thing Dustin said about this opening, and I'm just going to say that the nipples. this opening doesn't really – I mean, not a lot goes on, but this opening works for this movie because, like I mentioned earlier, this feels like you're – like if you were to listen to like a true crime documentary and they said – this group of friends went down to Texas to check out this person's, you know, grandpa's house. And then this should happen. Like back in the seventies, like this is when like the serial killers of America were established. So this, this opening scene works for this opening set of scenes works for me because, you know, I listen to a lot of true crime stuff, but I mean, how many, if you listen to like all these victims cases, like a lot of their deaths are because, you know, they went to, they went to a different town to party or they traveled to a different part of town just to, go do something like th- like this opening set of scenes works for me just because I put myself in that time zone. Also them running out of gas. is not a convenient plot point. It is the fact that in that time period, there was a gas crisis, a gas shortage. So that actually really works at the time in 1974, a lot of gas stations were out of gas. So I think that's also adds to the realism of the, of the story. And I take it one step further to what you just said, Nico, about it feeling real and feeling authentic and um, like it feels like a true crime. This plot, this premise could really work as a found footage film or a found oh, footage. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Like, absolutely. I, I, I was thinking that when I was watching it uh, this past absolutely. time is because, like, imagine if well, these it, kids. It'd be really good. If they were going to this house because they were trying to make a, a film for school or something, and the, so they had a camcorder and they just happened to be shooting, like this would really work as found footage. Yeah, 
it would work as a Rob Zombie film as well. I'm just being honest. Like, I act like a well, to be honest, get a, you know, get a writer, but have him direct. <laughs> to be honest, most films most films would work as a Rob Zombie film. So. Here we go. Oh, all right, let's move on. Let's move hey, on. Before I get hey, Nico, before you go, I'm gonna make all you I'm gonna make all you loyal Friday fans mad. You know who Franklin reminds me of? Shelly. All right. Shelly. Let's go. <laughs> Shelly. I mean, he's just as annoying as Shelly is, just being honest. Hey, shout out to Larry Zerner, friend of the show. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, shout out to Larry Zerner. All right, let's jump to the next scene by scene. And you were right, Mike. I did kind of like the, I mean, the first set of scenes. I think my first paragraph yeah. <laughs> for Shutter Island was longer than everything I just talked about. All right, the teens leave the gas station, and Kirk says Franklin is towing them to a gas station if they run out. The van parks outside an old house. Franklin said it's the birthplace of Bella Lugosi. Kirk tries to wash it off, and Franklin asks, you think he was trying to follow us? Sally takes them all inside and shows them around. Franklin yells out for Sally as he struggles to wheel up the old steps. Franklin makes it inside, mocking the others, laughing as he pouts. Kirk asks Franklin about the swimming hole. He tells them of a trail between the sheds. Kirk and Pam leave as Franklin finds a bird skeleton. Kirk says we should shoot him and put him out of our misery. <laughs> they realize the old swimming hole is dried up. They hear the sound of a motor, so they follow the noise to ask for some gas. Kirk shows Pam a field of old junk cars. They find the generator, and he yells out for anyone. The two walk up to the house and knock. No answer, and Kirk finds an old tooth on the porch and gives it to Pam. She freaks out, tossing it, saying, let's go. Kirk knocks again, and the door opens. He looks inside as Pam sits on a swinging chair. Kirk goes inside when he hears a pig squeal. He stumbles, falling into a room, and Leatherface appears and bashes him with a sledgehammer. He twitches violently and is hit again, and the sliding door is slammed shut. The camera follows Pam from below as she calls his name, and she goes inside the house. She calls his name more and wanders the house. She falls to the floor and finds feathers and bones on the floor. She sees a chicken in a cage. She sees bones hanging from the ceiling, and she begins to dry heave. She panics and goes to run out the house, but is chased and grabbed by Leatherface back into the house, and she slammed onto a meat hook. She now sees Kirk's dead body in front of her and cut into pieces with a chainsaw. Jerry jokes with Franklin, he's going to get you. Jerry says he told the guy his name and zip code. He asks Sally about the knife again, saying she had it last. Sally looks for the knife, and Jerry says he'll go look for Pam and Kirk before it's dark. Franklin asks Sally if she's mad at him. Jerry calls for Kirk as he walks through the woods. Sally tells Franklin she's just tired. It's been a long day. Franklin asks if that guy was following them. Jerry makes it to the house now, asking if anyone is home. He knocks on the door, and he lets himself inside when he hears some laughing noises. He goes into the kitchen and opens the freezer as it shakes and finds Pam, who jumps up at him. Leatherface enters the room and bashes him with a sledgehammer and slams the freezer shut. Leatherface runs to the window and looks around. He sits down and pats his head and licks his teeth. All right, Brian, that's the next set of things I got. What'd you think? Okay, so only because it really starts here. Uh, what the hell is the amount of times that somebody goes with their mouth in this movie? This yeah. is fucking ridiculous, dude. And it happens twice <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> Do y'all think that's a new thing that got popular in the 70s? Like, I kind of want to ask someone because, like, it is in this movie quite a bit. Well, yeah, the hitchhiker does it, you know, when he's chasing the van and then this shit with Franklin mocking them and doing it over and over and over and over again here. It just, I don't know. It made me laugh. I was like, what the hell? 
Um, this isn't how people acted literally ever, I don't think. So I don't know, what are we, five years old? But anyway, um, and you should have had them eating shrooms or something because they seemed high. The amount, the amount the rest of them were laughing and making jokes about wallpaper upstairs. I don't know. It seemed, it seemed so cheesy to me. Um, this is the part, you know, of what just, just couldn't keep me engaged, really. You know, a lot of it is, is us following Franklin, and you almost couldn't have a more annoying character to me at this point in the movie. And, I mean, we're about halfway through this movie already, and we're bored. I'm bored to death until we finally get to the Sawyer's house. Um, some great point-of-view shots, uh, you know, of Kirk and Pam as they're walking through the woods, just fantastic shots from Hooper and Pearl. Uh, one thing I thought was funny is, Kirk, when he's finding all those cars and he's looking through that net, he yells, hey, come here, come here, look at this. Like Pam is a mile away or something. She's literally standing one step to the right of him. And, uh, you know, and honestly, there's a lot of, of breaking and entering going on here. I mean, it's like one would say uh, you kind of deserved this shit, guys. Um, you know, Kirk finds a fucking tooth and just fucking walks right in, right on in, just water on into the house. Um, I do. I love him being hit by Leatherface, too, by the way, and not just dying. I love how he flops there for a second. And, you know, they talked about with that livestock in the van earlier. I thought that was very nice, disturbing touch there. That coupled with the lack of soundtrack, that slamming in the door, I thought that was very well done. Um, we, of course, get that famous point of view shot of Pam walking up to the Sawyer house from behind her. So it's so famous because it's just so well done there. I mean, it conveys the the danger of her walking up to that house, you know, that we didn't get the first time, but we now know as audience members is, you know, that danger is there. Um, Pam and then Jerry later in this group, just walking right the fuck in too. I mean, just, okay. Wild times, wild times back then. Um, now I was never a fan of the bones chicken room. Like, I don't know. That just, it never did it for me. I appreciate the fact that all those skulls and bones were real and the amount of work Robert Burns and company did to, to create this set. Uh, but that room, even the music, it all just fell flat for me personally and came across a little cheesy and, and over the top for me. Um, I do think they did a, a good job with creating what all was, you know, going through or going, you know, what all was going on, though, with with Pam getting hung up and and Leatherface sawing up Kirk, but not showing anything, um, you know, in respect to him being cut up, not even blood. Uh, but ban but Pam popping up later and then going right back into the freezer, like what the fuck even happened to her? I think Terry McManney is even on record as saying that she thinks her character survived. Who the fuck knows? We'll never know. That's kind of frustrating. Um, that's my least favorite kill in this movie, if it even is a kill. So who the fuck knows? Um, all in all, good set of scenes that's only saved to me with the last with those not even the last, it's just those three to five minutes or so that we spend at the Sawyers. The rest of it, I mean yeah, anyway, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so everything in the van, like, at this point, I'm kind of, like, ready to move on. Um, but, look, this entire thing, it, so this, unlike some of our other horror villains, like, this entire thing with, like, them all being killed off one by one could have been avoided by not going into people's fucking houses. Like, I get that, like, Franklin's, you know, that's, like, Franklin's family house or whatever that they, but, but still, I feel like, you know, let's not continue to go into this place. Uh, I feel like we could have had some avoidance there. Look, the best part of this scene is once we finally get a look at Leatherface. Um, I think Gunnar Hansen does a tremendous job as Leatherface. I really, really do. I love the sounds they use. And something I didn't mention in the opening 
set of scenes is the flashbulbs. I love that flashbulb sound. I love that they keep it throughout the franchise. Um, love that. I love that noise. And I love the noises, which is the same thing that Dustin meant, or Dustin and Brian, I'm not really remembering which one, about how they came from animal slaughterhouses. Like a lot of these like uneasy guttural noises you hear are just are just that. Like they're not fun to listen to. And I think the lack of soundtrack really helps this movie make me feel kind of just yuck the entire time. And you get that in this set of scenes for sure. Um, I like that we finally start getting some kills here. Uh, look, here's the thing with, well, it's funny. I was watched, I watched this with my wife who'd never seen it, who got bored by the movie. So I think she's more Brian than anybody else on this show. Uh, shout out to Catherine. But I was like, I had to kind of explain to her the under the underneath ass shot that we get. I was like, no, you don't understand. This is just a shot <laughs> that Toby Hooper got because, like Brian said, it, it's 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 real. It's 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 all it's very iconic, and we get it in every Texas Chainsaw movie. We get the underneath uh, ass shot because of this one with Pam. This is a scene though that O three does better. Uh, the meat hooks, the 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 slaughterhouse. Um, which again is referenced earlier by Franklin and how they, uh, you know, how they kill these, these cattle. I feel, I like the fact that they don't show everything, but I, I really like that scene in 03 where they hang them on the meat hooks. I, I think it works better for me. And then probably because I'm a modern audience, I'm, I'm younger than the intended audience. So I think having the violence and the gore of that scene really hits at home and just makes me feel icky when I see it. Uh, here, Look, I like the kind of cutaway kills that we get from Leatherface. Um, he's cutting somebody up. It, it, it's very quick cuts. You know, they kind of cut to him. They cut something else. They cut to him. They cut to something else. And they do that a lot throughout this film, whether it's him killing or trying to take down the door. Um, and I love the sound. And Brian mentioned it. I love the sound of the door slamming. Like, I think when they use that, and it's quite, it, it, it just works so well. Some really good shots. So this is Definitely the set of scenes where the movie catches my interest, it picks up. And it's not just because stuff is happening. It's why it's happening. It's, it's how it's happening. And I just, when I lock in on this part, I feel so uneasy. Like I feel, like Nico said, I'm watching something almost of a documentary style. Like it's not quite a documentary. I know it's not a documentary. But I get that weird feeling that I get when I watch like a Dahmer documentary where I'm just like, ah, Lee, this makes me feel not, like, I want to turn this off, but I can't. That's how I feel when I watch this set of scenes. So I think this this set in particular really, really works. Yeah, so, like, I get it. Being, it would suck to be left downstairs like that, but Franklin throwing that damn tantrum like he was four, was absolutely ridiculous. I agree, Brian. It's like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, that, and that mixed with how he cried when he got his arm cut. It's like, okay, I'm over this guy. I hope he's the first to go. Um, and then, yeah, you know, it's it's perfectly normal and acceptable. Just let yourself into a stranger's house. So he brought that death on himself. Uh, it's definitely creepy as fuck when she trips into the room and it's all covered in feathers and bones. And then that score, the sounds just made it. And then the chicken clucking just made it so much more eerie feeling. And so I thought that was very well done. Uh, Mike, you said it like I, I think it was you that said it. I'm 
damn, we do a bad job of remembering who said shit. But uh, when you said it's just like classic horror when uh, they get into this house, uh, it really is. And then hanging her up on the meat hook there, that's just brutal shit. Like I, the, the thing, my biggest gripe, though, is I wish we got more blood and gore, especially here um, yeah. from her and Kirk. I'm not saying that we need to go overboard and it need to, you know, we need to do terrifier amounts of blood and gore, but just some. Like we hardly see any blood in here. Now it's very effective how little that we do get because uh you know, we don't see it so we're left to imagine the blood, but I would like to see a little bit more. I and bet you then, if if he knew that he was going to get that PG3 or that rated R rating anyway, then I bet yeah. you he would have gone for it. Probably probably, but also maybe so. not. Because uh, I don't, you know, budgetary constraints. They, this is a very tight budget, apparently. So maybe, but I don't know. Uh, and then, yeah, back to Franklin. Just on my last nerf, top five worst character we've covered: him, Shelly, that annoying ass hoe from Bird Box. I'm just over him. <laughs> but um, now, one thing is though, I did have a problem with the score here because is the chain sound that we hear in the score or is it in the house? That's the, that's the only issue I had with it. Like it sounded like a chain was being dragged across the floor and I don't know where it was coming from. So it made it hard to, hard to know, like, can they hear this too? Should they be, should, should they be freaking out a little bit more than they are or what's really going on? And then also it was a bit silly for her to be motionless when the uh, freezers close, you know, the eyes close in the freezer and then just start convulsing. She sits straight up, starts convulsing. And then while she was in the freezer, because when the freezer lid uh, door opens, just laying there all motionless, what the hell was that rattling noise we heard? Was that in the score? Or that's what drew her to the freezer in the first place, right? Yeah, so right. very confusing with the score in this particular section of the movie. We don't have that issue anymore, uh, thankfully. But um, overall, dynamite set of scenes here because – we meet our villain, we get some deaths, and we are going 150 miles an hour. All right, it's nighttime now, and Sally honks the horn as Franklin sits in front of the van looking around. He says, we should go get help from the gas station. She says she won't leave without Jerry. They both begin to yell out his name. Franklin tells Sally, I think we ought to go and ask if the keys are in the van. She asks for the flashlight to go look for them. Franklin realizes they took the keys and honks the horn. She fights him for the flashlight, and he offers to go with her. He says he can't keep up with her, and he whines more. Uh, yeah, I think we all don't like Franklin. She's pushing him through the woods as they're calling for Jerry. Franklin says he heard something. They find a light, thinking it's a house. She struggles to push him, and Franklin has him stop, and suddenly Leatherface appears, killing Franklin. Sally panics and takes off running through the woods. Sally makes it to the house and runs inside, slamming the door shut. She runs up the stairs and into a room with a female corpse and a male corpse. She runs back downstairs, but Leatherface has made it inside, and she runs back up the stairs and jumps through the window. Limping now, but she takes off running again through the woods, screaming for help. She runs into a branch, knocking herself down. Leatherface catches up, but she keeps running. She makes it to the old gas station and runs inside. She tells him to close the door. He picks her up, telling her to calm down. He asks what happened. He killed Franklin, and, he tells, and she tells him to call the police. He says there's no one out there now. He tells her there's no phone. We have to drive over to Childress. I'm going to go get the truck. He exits and backs the truck up to the door. He walks back in with a sack and a rope with an evil grin. Sally grabs a knife, as he says, for her to cooperate. He grabs a broom and swats the knife out her hand and beats her with the broom. 
He ties up her hands, puts a cloth in her mouth, and puts a sack over her head. He loads her up in the truck, and they drive away. He continues to hit her with the broom, saying he hopes she's not too uncomfortable down there. The man stops when he sees the hitchhiker walking up the driveway. He calls him a little coon shit and beats him with a broomstick. Hitchhiker says no one saw him. He gets back in the truck, and they drive to the house. He tells Hitchhiker to, ne to never leave his brother alone and get the girl out the truck. He complains, look what your brother did to the door. He calls Leatherface a fool as Hitchhiker ties Sally up to a chair. She screams when she sees his face. He pokes her, antagonizing her. Leatherface explains none of the others got away, and the older brother beats him for ruining the door. He tells Hitchhiker to go get Grandpa. He tells Sally to calm down, we're about to make supper now. He sends Leatherface back to the kitchen. Hitchhiker yells for Leatherface for a hand for uh, to help Grandpa get Grandpa down the stairs. They sit Grandpa down beside Sally. Hitchhiker cuts her finger and puts it in Grandpa's mouth, who drinks on the blood, and Sally passes out. And the next group of scenes are the ending. Brian, what would you think? Mm. So at the beginning oh, of this... <laughs> he said, mm. <laughs> <laughs> So at the beginning of this, like, you know, in some of the darkest damn scenes we've, I've ever seen in my entire life, and by the, by darkest, I meant like, you know, light and dark, not necessarily. Oh, I can't see shit. I just mean, it's <laughs> fucking, you can't, yeah, it's dark as yeah. shit. Like we get, I timed it over three and a half minutes of Sally and Franklin arguing over what to do in some of the work. Look, I can't act. I know I can't, but it's just my opinion. It was just cringeworthy dialogue and exchange between the two. God rest their souls. I'm sorry. I just hated every second of it. And was just rooting for them both to get killed at this point. <clears throat> Speaking of that, though, I called it. I called it out in the other one, so I'll call it out in this one. How that chainsaw goes to not running at all to running right before killing Franklin is eye rolling. But I'll let it go because I wanted to see Franklin die so bad. <laughs> Fun fact: He's the only person killed in this entire Texas chainsaw massacre by an actual chainsaw in the entire movie. Worth it. Sally Hardesty straight up hauling ass through these woods too. Leatherface must be at you know defensive back speed. Some fun tidbits though about that. Burns was actually pretty cut up badly running through that you know underbrush. So a lot of the blood on her body and clothes is real. Um, Cactus Jack would be proud of her. Also, apparently Gunner Hansen, even his you know lift boots, uh, even in his lift boots, uh, he was faster than Marilyn. So he had to do some like random shit when chasing her through the woods since there's not many like cuts there. Now that you know that you'll notice like a lot of times where he just kind of gets really close to her and then stops, stops and starts like slicing the tree branches in the background before, before he catches her. Um, you know, and, and honestly, it's so damn dark. I, a few times I thought he actually got her, but uh, man in Leatherface <laughs> chasing her, Dude, this, I don't know, man. What Him chasing her reminds me of fucking Bowser in Mario Kart. Like, he hits those turns, and then he's got to give it the old exit, stage left even, like, as he spins out on those turns. Man, I was, I don't know, I was dying. Uh, and when he was running up those stairs, I wanted him to stop and just saw off one of the top of the stairs like Chevy Chase did in Christmas Vacation. So, I don't know, I just watched that again, so it's fresh in my mind. But uh, apparently, because, you know, he's a sane fucking director, Hooper used a stunt double for Sally's leap through that window, but but that was ill for not because apparently Burns actually hurt herself shooting the insert of her falling into the ground. I bet Hooper was like, fucking bloody hell. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's not British, but here we are. I use that anyway. <laughs> um, 
now we finally get Partain, you know, back in this set of scenes here at the end, you know, making this probably my favorite group of scenes in the movie, despite the boring first three, four or five minutes of it. Partain reminds me a lot of Arlie Army, um, although I think Army did it better in 2006. But I think that this was a great, great twist here as well. Um, twist is dead. And just a tidbit here before I go, <laughs> before I go, before I go to that, that rag that Partain uses to tie Sally up in the gas station was a rag used to clean the meat off the table for craft services during the production. So it was filled with real old rotting meat. And that makes me want to fucking puke just thinking about, and, you know, Oh, and lastly, this point of view shots of Sally in the floorboard uh, being jabbed with that stick. Such a great shot. I mean, really, that does, it really was. I'm not real sure how he had the camera set up there, but look great. Yeah. Look, this says is a mixed bag. One, there's about a quarter that takes place in the dark where I can't see. Uh, again, I, you know, my tree this time of year, if you're listening, we're recording this in December of 2022. My Christmas tree lights are next to my TV. And this scene is so dark, like all I can see is the reflection of my tree. So, like, I hate that. And I hate this argument with Sally and Franklin. Like, I'm kind of glad we're down to these two characters because I'm, like, ready to get going here. But they spend entirely too much time on this issue. I I just don't understand it. I'm glad Franklin dies. You mentioned him being the only one that dies by chainsaw. He's also the only one that dies not in the house, if I'm not mistaken, out of this group. So he's the only one that, like, didn't come into Leatherface's home territory and get killed. Everyone else, hey, man, don't come to my house. But Franklin, you're kind of like, oh, man, kind of went out of your way to do that one, didn't you? But <sighs> – Man, this Sally chasing goes on a really long time, but I think there's some really good stuff here. And I know I kind of mentioned that she screams the like last 20 minutes of the movie. I'm not making that up. There is no dialogue. Sally just screams while being chased and beaten up uh, here outside of her little stop at the at, at the barbecue place. But uh, look, I think there's some really good stuff here, man. There's some good shots, some, some good suspenseful stuff. Um, Leatherface is terrifying. Again, great performance by Gunnar, by Gunnar Hansen. I know the chainsaw kind of just starts up all willy-nilly, but it works for me. It's fine. Um, yeah, there, look, once we get into the family, I love it. I love that we have this sick, twisted, demented family, the Sawyer family. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm more inclined to to like the Hewitt family. <laughs> From the remake of you know the two movies, because I think you know Arlie Ermey, who you mentioned, is, is a fucking awesome actor, and he 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 portrays his character well. But I like the family aspect of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and we haven't really touched on the subtext here. But this is one of the first movies that kind of so like the fifties and sixties is a lot about family, uh, family you know being a good thing, the traditions that the and a lot of the horror in the fifties and sixties is from outside forces. It's, it's from, it's from whether that be foreign or alien or, or, you know, some special lizard creature, whatever the seventies is where you really get for the first time that the horror is in the house. The, the, the scary people are right next door. Uh, that's really the first time you get that. And in this case, it happens to be the family um, who are also victims in the, in and of themselves because they live in poverty, the system has them held down a little bit, 
all of that stuff. All that subtext is there if you really want to look for it. But just on the surface, like, this is a creepy family. Drayton Sawyer, I think, uh, you know, it's done really well. And I know I mentioned Arlie Ermey as the Hewitt uh, hierarchy in the remake, but I think there's a good job here. Also, this, this grandpa's too fucking old. Like, I like the remake because he, he's at least, like, living and talking and everything. This motherfucker is too old. I mean, like, should have yes. been in a, a Egyptian tomb old. Like, yes. like, like, for me, he like, it doesn't work for me. Um, it's a little over the top and kooky once he starts sucking the finger and everything. But that scene is super, I sound like a, like a 17-year-old idiot, but super creepy. <laughs> it's super creepy. Super uh, creepy. Super creepy. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but my, but yeah, no, really though, it does make me go, Ooh, what the hell was that? Like, cause this is old, decrepit person and, and, and Sally is what 18. Okay. So like just the whole thing, like is super out of place, but it's also a reminder of the setting that we're in. I just think once we get to the family stuff, I'm such a big fan, but I actually really like the set of scenes. There's some bad, like everything that takes place in the dark, basically. But the chase stuff and the family stuff, I'm a big, big fan of. I think the acting kind of kicks up a notch once we get down to Sally and the Sawyer family for sure. Yeah, so boom, finally some satisfaction. Franklin is carved up, and I'm good with this movie. That If he would have survived, I'd have probably taken three full points off of my score. <laughs> um, I know about Shelly. That's how I thought about Shelly, just saying. Yeah, and then, uh, Brian, you mentioned when Marilyn, Mar- Marilyn Burns was running through the uh, undergrowth there, cutting herself up and whatnot. Uh, I also read that she used to take – she would take her clothes with her to the laundromat to wash, and uh, the purple shirt had, and a couple of its duplicates had been stolen from the dryer. So she went back to the store and purchased the last one they had, but it was a size larger. So that's interesting. It's, like, I, I didn't pick up on that when I was watching it. Like, at, at one point – that shirt oh. is going to be noticeably larger than it was at a different point. But curious to, to know if that was at a point where they needed to add like fake blood and stuff to it, if that would be noticeable too. But anyway, um, and then man, an issue that I had was that it took him forever to cut through that flimsy ass door. Like he's got a chainsaw and he's just carving it up, trying to cut through it. But then when he actually kicks it open, you, it looks like that shit's made out of like quarter inch thick plywood. Like that was pathetic. Um, and then when when Sally gets outside, screaming as you run probably isn't the best strategy for escaping in the dark. I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but I probably wouldn't scream if you know there's a chance he can't see me. I don't know, maybe. But um. And then when she does escape and she gets, quote unquote, saved by the cook and he takes her in there to the barbecue shack and you see the meat sizzling. It's like, ugh. the first thing that thought that came to my mind was, I know it smells crazy in there. And especially when they get to the dinner scene, it's like, oh, God, I can't imagine how terrible that smelled. But uh, and then when she, he, she's got a knife, she has an, an advantage. She has the upper hand. And this motherfucker knocks the knife out of her hand with a broom. Not even a broomstick where you like whacked her on the hand like ow that hurt. A broom. A broom. That was pathetic. And then he beat the hell out of her with that broom. That was kind of comical to me. I'm not gonna lie. Um, 
And then, you know, we so we get one introduction, and then boom, here we go. We get the other reintroduction. We get the psycho hitchhiker. Um, but his part earlier, to me, still, there was no payoff for that earlier. We could have just met him here. We could have just saw him. Maybe he was hitchhiking, and they didn't pick him up. And they just like, oh, that guy looks creepy. And But the seed's planted in our minds. Hey, well, we saw him earlier. I don't know. That, that van scene just didn't do anything for me. Um, it's very tense, though. Once we get back in the house, uh, the score, the characters, the set design, just everything about it's very tense, very eerie. Um, I I love everything about it. And then that old bag of bones sucking the blood out of her finger. That's disgusting, man. That's nightmare fuel and that little fucking dance he does. But um, uh, overall, it's a very effective set of scenes because um, this is just this is just some wild shit to be watching. All right, guys, here's the ending. Later on that night, Sally wakes up at the dinner table. Hitchhiker and Leatherface mock Sally, howling, and she begs the chef to make them stop. Hitchhiker and Leatherface harass Sally, touching her face and hair. Hitchhiker says they gotta do all the work, and Cook says he takes no pleasure in killing. Sally continues to beg, but to no success. She weeps louder as we get close-ups of her eyes and face as the family torments her. Hitchhiker says to let Grandpa have some fun. He's the best. They give Grandpa the hammer to kill Sally. Hitchhiker unties her and holds her in front of him. He tries to swing the hammer, but he's too old and weak. Grandpa hits her one good time, and Hitchhiker grows impatient and reaches for the hammer, and Sally gets free. She jumps out another window, and it's light outside now. She hobbles down the driveway as Hitchhiker and Leatherface chase after her. Hitchhiker cuts her back, and they make it to the road. She pushes him off of her, and he's run over by a semi-truck. The driver pulls over and goes to help Sally but gets right back in the truck when Leatherface appears. He helps pull her inside and they exit the other door. He grabs a wrench and throws it at Leatherface, hitting him in the head with it. He falls over and the chainsaw falls on his leg, cutting him. Sally weighs down a man in a blue truck who U-turns and she climbs into the bed. Leatherface chases after her briefly and she screams. Leatherface now waves the chainsaw around in the sunrise, dancing in the street as the film comes to an end. All right, Brian, what do you think about the ending? Um, so I actually have a lot, I usually don't have a lot on the ending of movies, but I actually have a lot on this one. Um, now the fucking dinner table scene, like I know it's such an iconic scene and it's kind of like so many movies we've done like in the past where there's just been so many interviews behind the scenes stuff done about it. So I'm almost like hard pressed to find, you know, much new to talk about with it, but it's pretty well known that it was such a nightmare to shoot and hell, even shooting this, the sequence where they cut Sally's finger to try feeding it to grandpa, the tube kept shooting and Hanson finally said that he simply just really sliced into Marilyn's finger and cut it open. Like, and the reason was he explained in an interview was that quote, at this point we were insane. He said that their only desire at that point in shooting was to get the film done. Like he didn't care about his fellow actors well-being, And this sequence was shot in the back end of an almost 30 hour work day or 27 hour work day. Uh, he also noted that there isn't much acting going on in the dinner scene, which honestly is why it's probably, you know, why it probably works so well. It's very, everybody's not really acting. Um, you know, speaking of the fucking grandpa, a lot of that chaos was caused by him because after getting into that old age makeup, John Dugan decided, you know, fuck that. Like he's not doing that anymore and ever again. So all the scenes with him had to be filmed in the same session. The entire process they said it took about 36 hours. Five was for his makeup, and all the rest was was just this brutal 
summer heat wave taking place too, apparently. So filming all that dinner scene with him wearing a heavy suit, necktie, sitting in a room filled with dead animals and rotting real food with no air conditioner. Apparently it was a fucking nightmare. Um, Friend of the show, Edwin Neal, claimed that filming that scene was the worst time of his life. And quote, I had been in Vietnam with people trying to kill me. So I guess that shows you how bad it really fucking was. (laughs) Shout out to everyone involved there. I mean, that really does sound like a fucking nightmare to shoot. Um, They did not get paid enough for all that. And, uh, you know, while, yeah, I think the dinner scene is a little bit overrated compared to the 03 version, um, the scene with Grandpa trying to beat her over the head and that just whole sequence with the mallet, just bravo to Marilyn Burns. I mean, she did such a fantastic job of screaming. And her performance here was just, I found very impressive. That's why when Mike, when you talked about it earlier, I thought you said that you didn't like that. And I was like, damn, that's the that's my favorite part of her. No, she's great here, man. Yeah, I think she does a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, the, the last thing I'll say is the very ending with the truck driver. I never really understood why this was just so iconic. Um, now, the hitchhiker and Leatherface chasing Sally away from the house, I thought that was a very cool shot. I thought that was very well done. But the truck driver part just seems kind of comical to me. Like, like hitchhiker stands in the way and does the Austin power steamroller just no for what seems like 10 minutes without getting out of the way. And then, and then the old, the truck driver gets out and says, Oh hell no turns around and gets back in the truck, which makes me die laughing. But like, why the fuck do they even get back out of the truck? Like all he did was barely scrape the side of that door. Anyway, plus Dustin mentioned, you saw how long it took him to get through that piece of shit wooden door earlier why didn't they just fucking drive away it's not like he was cutting through the door um i don't know and sorry i've always hated the leather face just swinging the chainsaw or in the air like that you know what i don't know whatever oh, what i just i've always hated that i just thought it was just i don't know it seems cheesy to me i don't know whatever oh my god you know, whatever. at least i've given you the chance up until this point buddy oh please oh please i, I don't need your chances uh, <laughs> well guess what you've got no chance in hell no chance Sorry. that's what you got oh uh, well whatever happened to my man and the truck driver like he's just gone you know what the sequel should have been not that piece of shit that we got we should have been about the fucking truck driver getting away um not that shit show that we got for uh texas chains on Massacre two anyway i'll shut up go ahead <laughs> you were muted so i didn't hear anything you said damn man. it i quoted chop top and everything son of a bitch damn it all right. I like the ending a lot. I really, really do. I like the family dinner scene. I think it's iconic. Um, it's it, the, 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 the tension builds and it builds and it builds. And, you know, they get grandpa trying to use the hammer and he can't use it. You know, he just kind of like chucks it at her and it gets her once. It's all, all that Marilyn Burns is doing is screaming. And it just works. It's iconic. I love so everything around this family dinner scene, and by the way, every Chainsaw movie has to have one, except the rec- the most recent one, apparently. But I think the the, the you know the reasoning behind that is because this one I think is so well done. Uh, I love just like the cuts of people's faces and and everything else. It just works for me, man. It's creepy. It's unsettling, and and I I really really like it. Um, I like that Sally gets away. Uh, because you know we always give Laurie Strode credit for being the the first final girl, but really, I mean Sally Artisi's really the one. I mean, if we're really being honest here, she gets away. Um, now there's a little bit of a different outlook. 
Or Shrode kind of has the opinion of like, oh, thank God I made it out. Uh, Charlie Artisty looks like she'd rather be anywhere else but in the back of that truck. So I think the portrayal is different for sure. Um, I And I like where she gets out. Now, I will say this. I agree with you on one small thing, Justin, or, or excuse me, Brian. I could have done without the truck driver. Could have done without the truck driver because he serves no purpose. Like, I think we're just adding a couple minutes here because we want our movie to be a little longer. Man, I, I think you just get her in the back of the truck and you drive off and Leatherface is chasing her. So if you cut out the truck driver, that would be fine. I mean, it, it doesn't take away from the film, just like a small nitpick where I think I'm like, eh, come on, get to the iconic shot where it's Sally laughing and it's Leatherface swinging that chainsaw all and around. And honestly, I think it's such an iconic shot. I love that you know, the sun is coming up. He's swinging the chainsaw. I love it a lot, man. I, it just works for me. And I like when people edit it. Like, I think the best one is the Fleetwood Mac one where he's dancing the dreams. That's pretty great. Um, but I think kind of meme and TikTok culture made that even more relevant than it already was. But quick fun fact that I'll, in, I'll insert here. Marilyn, you know, Marilyn Burns, you know, we talked about the dinner scene. You know, that was a 26-hour straight shoot. Like, no breaks. All gas, no breaks. Like a Willie Taggart offense. <laughs> but, you know, they shot that for 26 hours straight. She goes home. She rinses off. She gets clean. They're done. It's over. You know, you know the scene in the truck, it's done. She's done. They call her maybe an hour later and say, Marilyn, we didn't get it. So she has to go back and reshoot it. And her laughing it's actually supposed to be crying, but her laughing hysterically is a, a real emotion, which she uh, mentioned in interviews later. So, like, imagine that shooting that movie was hell anyway, like literal right. hell, because right. it's 104 degrees, because you, you guys mentioned the heat wave that came through. And then having to go back and do that all over again would drive me absolutely bonkers. Um, I mean, the final product is great, but just the, knowing that behind the scenes makes me feel bad for her, to be honest with you. Um Love the ending. I think it worked. It's probably my favorite set of scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um, so when she's begging them, it's a great choice to go extreme close up to her face and then her eyes and then cut away. Like the, the direction there is fantastic. The way it just, the, the camera cuts we get. Uh, it's just a great, it's great additional horror elements there. Um, now this scene to me does drag on a little bit too long though because of her screaming. Like she's great. But the screaming just gets a little bit unbearable for me at times. Um, and then, man, this motherfucker can't even hold a hammer. And they just keep trying. They just keep trying. Um, that that went on a little bit too long as well. Maybe could have cut a little bit of that. But, um, you know, it's fine. Uh, and the reason it was so noticeable and annoying to me is just because she just kept screaming. Just shut up. Kill her already. Um and then the truck driver, I get, yeah, I completely get what you're saying there, Brian. Uh, pointless as well, but uh, Buddy getting ran over that truck was funny as hell because it did. It was like it was in slow motion. And then the effects of the body getting ran over didn't look good because you could tell, like, oh, that wasn't a real body. That was some kind of stuffed up mannequin that they made, and it looked like shit. But it was fun. Like I appreciated it for some reason. It's, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, we get the iconic shot of Leatherface going crazy, waving the chainsaw, and you know she gets away um, in the pet back of the pickup truck, but not without giving us some more damn screaming. So 
Um, but overall, man, it, it's a very satisfying ending to me because, like you said, Mike, I mean, she's really the first final girl. And um, just it really paved the road for so many iconic horror films and uh, situations that we got going forward. All right, guys, let's jump into our social media comments and questions. We've got quite a bit of them tonight. Let's do Facebook first. Michelle Merza commented, Anytime I watch a horror movie from the 70s, such as this one, I feel so repulsed and grimy after it's done. The 70s were a game changer for horror. In my opinion, no decade since has produced such brilliant horror movies. I will agree with you about the first half, but you lost me in the second half. I do think some, some decades after were better. But Jared Summers replied back, same here. Can't think of another movie that, that makes me feel like I need a shower after watching it. <laughs> what are y'all's thoughts on Michelle's comment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I agree with Michelle. <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with uh, we're so spoiled with high definition that this grimy footage just feels dirty to us. I think that yes. has a lot to do with it. But uh, you I- know, when it's well done, when when the movie's good, it adds another level because we don't just feel dirty like uh, I feel poor watching that low resolution shit that I just saw. <laughs> but you also feel like uh, I feel dirty because I'm creeped out a little. And this 100%. movie hits on both of those. I agree with you, Dustin. All right, jump over to Twitter now. A big fan of the show, Randy Smith, commented, Love that y'all are covering a true classic. This is a movie that helped shape horror for many years. While, yes, it's not perfect, and we want Leatherface to shut Franklin up, it's an imperfect 10. Then he hit us with the, it's a 10 gif. (laughs) Uh, Sean Irwin, big fan of the show, he tweeted us saying, Rubber gave praise to this movie, LOL. I think it still holds up quite well, but I also was rooting for Leatherface since all the teenagers suck. I feel like most people would agree with you on that, Sean. Yeah. Well, I would I would like to say that despite my feelings on this one, don't ever compare Rubber and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. No, he said Rubber <laughs> gave praise to this movie. He shouldn't even be mentioned in the same. Yeah, same. I, I was going to say, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not do that, please. All right. Uh, another big fan of the show, Mookie, he, he tweeted a saying, 10 out of 10, one of the greatest horror movies made and one of my personal favorites. I feel like a lot of people would agree with uh, Mookie as well. Uh, and teammate of the show, Kevin Scanlon, tweeted a saying, is it blasphemy to say that I like the 03 remake better? No, I feel no, like Kevin, a lot of people not. would agree with him too. And I answered Kevin on Twitter and said, yes, it is. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump over to Instagram now. Elbow.Tyler commented saying, I always get a kick out of the dynamics in the Sawyer family and how Drayton calls him a hog bitch and whatnot. He's just the cook, LOL. Also, no disrespect to Sally, but Pam should have been the final girl, in my opinion. Okay, I like that take. I don't know if I I agree with it. By the way, Pam, in 1974, call me sometime. Well, Mike brought that call me sometime back out and guns blazing with it. Choo, choo, choo. All right, uh, Blood Donor, Christian Cunningham, Chris underscore 2020, commented saying, Matthew McConaughey's car jump scream from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, perfectly sums up my entire feelings about this franchise. And take that from what you will. <laughs> a boy. All right, big fan of the show, Joe Black Tattoos, commented, can't kill a classic with the, uh, the cheers emoji. Uh, I-, I won't disagree with you, brother. Real Matt Sears commented, this movie was creepy AF the first time I watched it when I was way too young to be doing so. The old grandpa at the table scene was disturbing. 
Plus, I feel like you could drive down some back roads in this country and for sure come upon a family like this. A backcountry road trip is all fun and games until you hear a banjo, or in this case, a chainsaw. That's what I feel like so real about this movie. It's like it just like I used to deliver mail out in the country. It's like you, you saw some weird stuff. Uh, Gail the Snail commented, do you think anyone mourns the death of Franklin? I hate that dude so much with a laughing emoji. No, we all hated Franklin as well. <laughs> All right, guys, bear with Absolutely. me. Big fan of the show. My guy, the Black Han Solo, left us a big comment, so I'm going to just give me a minute. TCM 74 will forever be my favorite horror movie. It gave us one of the forefathers of the slasher genre. If it was a slasher Mount Rushmore, his ugly mug would be up there with J-Vor, Hockey Mask, or Sack, depending on your preference, Petty Freddy, Chucky Cleaves, and Silent Mike. The two best portrayals of face to me are the 74 and the 03 beginning face. Because although different portrayals, they kind of meet in the middle with their brutality. I, I even like I even like the 2022 version because it spat in the face of the horror franchises that tried to cash in on the legacy sequel shit. The 2022 one obviously had its flaws, but it literally gave us what the title said. A massacre in Texas with a chainsaw. Yeah, somebody smart. Let's go. <laughs> Simple. Leatherface hasn't been the psychological type, but what if they did give him that treatment? Like, let's say someone like A24 or Blumhouse gets a hold of the franchise and hires a LGBTQ plus director to explore psychology while Leatherface cross-dresses. I mean, for what we can gather from the 74 version and a few of the other movies, he changes depending on the chore or role he's doing. Yeah. So what if they delve just a bit, a tad bit more into that and do it tastefully with the writer-director of that community and without going too much into Rob Zombie Halloween territory? I don't know, just a thought, because they seem to kind of abandon that part of Face's lore in these last two installments. Anyways, can't wait to hear your guys' take on this classic, and what do y'all think about that take on Leatherface? And he followed oh, up saying, P- what's, what, say was, what was his name? I'm sorry, what was his name? Black Han Solo. Oh, that was Black Han Solo? I just want to yeah. say, I'm, I'm sorry, Black Han Solo. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'll say this. A lot of people in the in that you know, in the community he mentioned are not thrilled with the portrayal of Leatherface over the years because of his representation of, of, you know, trans and crotch dressing and all of that. Like I said, I think there's a lot of misrepresentation according to what I've read as far, and they're not a big fan of the way, especially Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. They hate his portrayal in that movie. So yeah. (laughs) And to that, uh, to that notion, you know, it really feels like if they were going to try that, this most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre film would have been the one to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. they clearly had several agendas going when they made that movie. Like, 100%. they they didn't even make it, like, convenient. They went out of their way to push messages at points in that movie. Yeah. And, they never uh, settled on a side. Just kind of push yeah. a bunch of messages. <laughs> and so uh, I'm glad they didn't, though, because that would have been just too much. But I do agree that would be an interesting uh, thing to explore. Yeah, and uh, A24, nah, nah, nah. Give me Rob Zombie. <laughs> well, I think TCM2 tried and failed miserably yeah. to do that, by the way. Because they that, tried to make it a joke, and it's not a joke. That movie's a Even though movie. I love that movie. <laughs> Motherfuckers, I cannot wait to make you all suffer through that. You sons of bitches. <laughs> yeah. Mike likes right, Texas nope. Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Halloween 3. Take that for what it's worth. I already, no, no, I already no, did no, stuff no, through no, that damn. No, I already no. watched it. 
Yeah, but we need to review it again just for Do you, we? Brian. I don't know. Brian, I'll let you pick. Exorcism of Emily Rose or DCM2. I'll let you pick right now. DCM2. Exorcism that. of Emily <laughs> Rose it is. Let's go. <laughs> I just wanted to get Brian the most. You can blame Dustin for making me change my pick. I still get the review X, so that's what makes it great. Scapegoat. <laughs> Our black console just wanted to re-up on his comment. P.S. A thousand pardons if I got any of the LGBTQ plus nomenclature wrong. It wasn't intentional. Intentional. I reread it three times to make sure. Hopefully it didn't come off offensive. If I did, please feel free to contact me. And I really like this part. Teach me. Don't preach me. I like that. Don't just jump down people's throats. You know? Yeah. I hate that shit. Uh, anywho, that's it for our uh, social media comments and questions. Uh, do any of y'all have fun facts? I do not have any. No, I said all mine. I've got a couple. Um. Entertainment Weekly magazine voted this the second scariest film ever made behind The Exorcist. It was the... Oh, who said that? Entertainment Weekly. Respectfully disagree, EW. Respectfully disagree. I don't know when that... The Exorcist, come on. I don't know when that was, uh, when that article or when that public, you know, that list was made to them, for them. But I'm sure if it was any, any time post or pre like 1985, I could definitely see that. Um... It was the second biggest grossing independent film until Halloween in 1978, four years later. Uh, Terry McKinn was paid just $700 for her appearance in the film, and Gunnar Hansen was paid just $100 more. So $800 to be one of the most iconic villains ever. Interesting. The chainsaw used in this film was a pool in 245A with a piece of black tape covering the pool and logo in order to avoid a possible lawsuit. Uh, John Larroquette stated in 2008, that he had never seen this film. So that's interesting. I wonder if that still holds true. Uh, the 12th highest grossing film of 1974. This one was really interesting to me. Working titles for this f- film included Saturn in Retrograde, Head Cheese, Stalking Leatherface, and then simply Leatherface. Leatherface would have been fine, but the rest of those, man, they, they got it right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the way to go. Hey, that, um, sound, that sounds like that. some Irwin family he- movies right there. Head cheese, <laughs> head cheese is such a throwaway line in the movie. Like that would have made me angry. Yeah, head cheese is Al Snow and uh, Steve Blackman. They can't be <laughs> Steve Blackman, the tag team. Yeah, head cheese. Can't believe I can't believe Al Snow dropped that elbow on cheese at WrestleMania 2000. You son of a bitch! Oh God, that's a deep cut. Um, yes, it is. It's a very deep cut. Nerds. This- this uh, film ranked number six in Entertainment Weekly's top 50 cult films of all time. And then the last one I've got is from just uh, about a month and a half ago. Quentin Tarantino was on Jimmy Kimmel Live back at the end of October, and he named this movie as one of the few perfect movies ever made. Oh. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. My go. Yeah. Money Mike time. All right. Before I talk about the budget. I must do this because I think it's only fair. This movie has been talked about to death. There has been classes at universities given on just this film. Yes. The subtext, the underlying messages, what it means, how much it means, the weight of it. Um, the, it's a movie of its time, and it's saying a lot in the hour and 23 that we get it. It, it seems simple on the surface, but if you dig beneath that surface, there's a lot of roots there, man. And so I think you must do yourselves a favor. One, seek out the research, the articles, 
the 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 academic studies on the movie and, and and really read up on what the movie is actually saying if you don't feel like doing that i normally do not plug another show but i must must give credit to chelsea and james at dead meat for their episode on this movie they don't really talk about the movie they just talk about what the movie does its impact its its theories it, it, you know what it's trying to say she did all the research so i didn't have to so instead of you know kind of stealing it from her i'm just going to plug their episode so when you get done with this episode go listen to their episode please listen to us as well but but make sure you go listen to what they have to say about the movie as well um all right budget very low budget uh can't confirm so i'm gonna go high end because it you know some people say it's eighty thousand. there's been a ninety four thousand. this is where it settles $140,000 budget after you include, you know, marketing and stuff like that, which it didn't have much, uh, for a $30.9 million box office. If that's not, that is a smash hit if I've ever seen one. That I don't know math, but that seems like double, triple, quadruple your 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 budget. Uh, so no wonder we get, you know, like six really shitty follow-ups and two really good ones so you know just kind of what happens when you make a lot of money in in the horror all right guys let's jump into our favorite kill least favorite kill in the rating uh brian you said you want to kick us off yeah might as well because uh so everybody can just uh get happier and happier as they go on and so they're not mad at me at the very end anyway um favorite kill i think is kirk i think that was very well done like i said i loved it least favorite kill i mentioned pam because who the fuck knows if she even dies and all the problems we had with that. Um, so, you know, this one was really hard for me to rate uh, because, you know, like, like I caught a sh- lot of shit for not liking Shining, but I don't mind being by myself with my opinions at all. But even with me not liking it, The Shining, I mean, I still rated it high because, I mean, I appreciate appreciated what all I did for the genre. But with The Shining, I didn't have a remake of The Shining, you know, that I thought was was better either. Um, you know, where I, I do in this situation, you know, 03 and 06 got a, a 9.5 and a 7.5 respectively from me. And honestly, I don't like any of the rest of this franchise that I've, you know, like I've already said, th- this one is included. You know, if I want to watch this movie or story, I'll pop in 03 and to me, get a superior movie, in my opinion. Sorry. I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid, send the hate mail. I'm going to give this one a 4.75. <coughs> a what? What did you just say? Sorry, I got to go. See you later. Oh, what did he say? A 4.75. I'm going to go next. Did this right. man make us... This man made us watch Bone Tomahawk. I mean, it was good. And, it was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. This man it's made fine. us watch Army of the Dead. Yeah, and <laughs> I didn't make us. I mean, I didn't make us. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go next. Favorite and, kill? I agree, oh, Brian. God damn it, Brian. Uh, favorite kill for me? I agree, Brian. Is Kurt uh, the initial pop of seeing Leatherface, him twitching, and the door slamming shut? Chef's kiss for me. Least favorite kill? I chose the hitchhiker. I was happy to see him die, but it just looks bad and it makes no sense. He just stood there and let it happen. That shit pissed me off. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I think this movie is a classic and executed extremely well. Uh, not saying anything new here, but the grit, raw, nasty, hot, sweaty, sticky feel of this movie just separates itself from so many others. 
This movie just feels incredibly realistic, and that's what makes it terrifying. It fits the time it was directed. The Sawyer family has acted extremely well. Big shout-out to Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface. He was very good. Absolutely love the ending of him swinging the chainsaw. I disagree with you again, brother. I'm sorry. No. My cons of the movie are obviously, number one, Franklin. Just an annoying character, albeit he was you know, acted well by Paul Partain. This is a short movie, but would have been even better as a nice little 70 to 75-minute movie. Several scenes could be cut shorter to trim this movie up even more. In the van with the hitchhiker. Sally and Franklin talking about the van. The ending dinner scene was drug out too long and annoying. The sound and constant zoom in on Sally's eyes and the family laughing just began to annoy me. In conclusion, this movie is a timeless classic with an enormous impact on the horror genre. I tweeted a few days ago when I was rewatching that the time spent with Kirk and Pam's death is just elite horror film material. And I gave the movie Dustin an eight and a quarter. Okay. I'll go ahead and go. Um, All right. So as far as my favorite kill goes, uh, I went with the hitchhiker because he sucked. He was psycho. And at least they tried to show us the brutality on death. Now I get it. It looked like shit, like the mannequin or whatever getting ran over. And it was in slow, like him getting hit was in slow motion. But at least they tried to show us an on-screen death. That's something that this movie didn't really do um, hardly at all. Least favorite kill was Pam. Because we never got finality. Like, did she even die? She was just in the freezer. And that door, the freezer lid wasn't even locked or anything. So in all actuality, she could have just opened it herself and crawled her ass out. Like she, the actress even said, in her mind, she survived because she's a fighter. But um, I don't know. So I had to go with her. So as far as the movie goes, yeah, absolutely. It's a classic. It inspires so much of what we enjoy in the genre. Um it does have its flaws, though. I think a lot of the acting's bad. Uh, Franklin is one of the worst characters in horror history. And honestly, I'm ashamed that his name's Franklin because that's my last name. Um, I think that some of the scenes drug on too long, like uh, the hitchhiker in the van scene, uh, the dinner scene. And so for scenes to drag on and feel like, okay, we could move on from this and the runtime to only be an hour 23, that's that's unfortunate to me because an hour 23 you should have like jam-packed action like i can't wait or uh, you know it feels like we're moving through this and everything serves a purpose but there was parts in the movie that didn't have that feel that's what takes it away from being a perfect movie to me still very high though still enjoy it a lot um it's eerie it's creepy it's authentic i gave it an 8.75 all right i'm gonna I'm going to read a friend of the show and part of our crew here, Shan's quick thoughts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She says, to me, Texas Chainsaw is an amazingly well-done movie. It, it's not an enjoyable movie. It's rather uncomfortable to watch. We agree, Shan. But it's still a great movie. I saw it for the first time at 16 after I'd done a paper on Ed Gein from my criminal justice class. By the way, we didn't even mention the fact that this movie is loosely based on Ed Gein. Well, I guess Nico did at some point. But just, you know, that's this movie and Psycho both loosely based on Ed Gein. Uh, in my mind, it was a very bloody movie, but that's why I think this movie is so well done. There's actually almost no blood in the film. Your mind fills those gaps in. Toby Hooper was very talented in how we filmed this and made the audience feel even decades later. Also, fun fact, Marilyn Burns was born in Erie, PA, living in my old neighborhood. That is a fun fact, Shan. Um, all right, so for me, my favorite kill is Franklin, because I was ready to see that motherfucker die. I, I, I needed to see it happen, and we did. 
Uh, my least favorite kill is Pam because of everything you guys already said where we get no no conclusion on if she's dead, not dead. She wakes up in a freezer. Really weird stuff. Um, all right. So, look, this movie is a classic. It is an all-time horror classic. There's some things I don't like. It drags in places. It gets a little boring. But when you get down into the nuts and bolts of this movie, what it represents, what it does for the genre, for filmmaking, the, the subtext, the context of its time, all of those things wrap up into something I think is very special. Um, it's not my favorite movie ever. It's not something I'm throwing on to be entertained all the time. If I want to watch a horror movie and I just throw something on for background noise, I'm going to throw on you know one of our favorite slasher movies from the Big Three logo that we have. But when I want to really show someone what horror can be, I recommend this movie because I do think there's just so much here, so much meat on the bone with a pun intended. And so all that being said, I gave this movie an 8.75. I couldn't go nine just because there is a point in this movie where I look at my phone and check out what time it is. But outside of that, I think this is a chef's kiss of a movie, just a a really well done horror movie. And, And it set the tone for the genre going forward, it changed it, made it feel more real and not as fantastical. And I think that's why it deserves to be recognized as a classic. So that gives us a composite score of 7.625. IMDb's at a 7.4. So we're pretty much right on. Brian, thank God you scored it so oh, low. Or y'all are welcome. Over. Y'all are Thanks welcome. a lot, Brian. You're welcome. Everything cool we just did, you wrecked it. <laughs> wrecked it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding, brother. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, Fuck them. <laughs> hey, wow. me and Dustin gave Psycho a five live on there. So yeah, man, well, we, you, we you, definitely had our strong takes. Yeah, as well. you guys are wrong too. That's why the Exorcist stinks. <laughs> oh, sorry. All right. Uh, any more final thoughts? Where I just shout out our blood donors and Mike's going to announce his pick for next week. I want to shout out our blood donors. Really appreciate y'all your financial contributions. It means a lot to us. Camper level reoccurring. Clayton J. Nina. Michelle Merza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, and Brian Samek. Uh, Camp Counselor Reoccurring, Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home Podcast, Heather Smith, Kyla Denise all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Jake Hambrick, and Clay Moore. And our final guide donor we have a film review to do uh, is Matt Sears. We uh, will get to Constantine very soon uh just want to thank all y'all very much for your financial help and a big shout out to joe uh he's going through a tough time right now Absolutely. i saw your post uh our love and our heart goes out to you uh mike you want to announce your pick real quick brother and we'll get out of here yeah sure so i know i've shit on the exorcist like six times in this review uh but uh i went a different route here i didn't go with what i consider a classic but a movie that i've been wanting to do for the entirety of this show and just haven't got around to yet, partially because I felt bad for Brian, but I say no more to that. I'm doing the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yay. It's time. It's time. To, buddy, you've never even seen it. <laughs> Yay, you don't know. I'm so excited. You, you I'm may so love excited. this movie. I'm so excited. You may love this movie. I don't feel bad because <laughs> of the because of some of the picks you've had. So uh, I am excited to do this movie. I think it's good. I think it's time. Uh, and again, we've only done from The Exorcist. And, and, and look, this movie's not in The Exorcist franchise. But in that same vein, we've only done the original. 
So I do think it's interesting to kind of go down that path again. It's been quite a while, and it's time it's time to do another one of these. So I'm very excited. I've, I've been wanting to do this since episode one, man. So I, I'm I'm excited we finally get to do it. And I, I want to give on Hulu available on Hulu. I want to give the, uh, the listeners a uh, peek behind the curtain because, Mike, you touched on it a minute ago. I got you bullied. Said, I got you bullied said, I'm going to pick X movie. anyway. So, listeners, I want y'all to hear this. This theme for this month is long overdue. And Mike's is- pick for long overdue was a movie that released in March of 2022. <laughs> what did Nico say? What was Nico's definition? What was Nico's definition? What was it, Dustin? I, yeah. Uh, overdue to you're, me. To you're, wait, me. you're asking me what someone said months ago or a month ago or so? That's I can't what remember. I'm so basically, we bullied Mike, and this is, you know, what it what it meant, what it meant to me, what overdue meant to me, and to me, I've been wanting to do this movie since it came out. So I have perfectly explained that away. You kept bitching, so I changed it to piss Brian off. You're welcome. It's all your exactly. fault. I didn't even do anything in this whole entire thing. Actually, Brian, actually, Brian, you started it. I started it. I had your back, and then I, I went too far with it. And then he's like, all right, yeah. fuck you guys. I'm going home. She has I'm going home. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's actually all Brian's fault. It really is. I, I all right, let's end this episode, you little coon chits. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> Just want to remind everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.